John chapter 3, verses 1 through 21. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs that you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, You must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and do you not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world, that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of the light, because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light, and will not come out into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light, so it will be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. Now, I could tell that I had settled into the role of chaplain at Intermountain when the following diagnoses no longer startled me. Post-traumatic stress disorder, reactive attachment disorder of early childhood or infancy, Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder Combined Type Anxiety Disorder Major Depressive Disorder Recurrent Neglect of a Child Sexual Abuse of a Child Asperger's Mood Disorder Problem with Primary Support Group Bipolar Fetal Alcohol Syndrome And I could go on. It's quite a list, isn't it? But behind each of these labels is a child. And these are the children that I spent the better part of the last decade ministering to and advocating for in my work at Inner Mountain in Helena, Montana. And now I am no longer in the chaplain's role, which allows me to minister part-time here with you at Desert Springs, and I am grateful for the opportunity. A few weeks ago, we looked at the transfiguration of Christ in the gospel passage, and we discussed how each of us has those moments in life 
where we gain new insight, have a transformative experience, and we are never the same afterwards. Our perspective has changed, and with God's grace, we are made more effective for God's service in his kingdom as a result. I feel that this is the case when it comes to my experience as the chaplain at Inner Mountain, as well as my exploration into trauma-informed ministry, eventually becoming someone that others look to as an authority on the subject. Now, what I hope to do in this time is to give you just a little insight into what it means to be a trauma-informed ministry and how that relates to Jesus and Nicodemus's interaction in this very popular passage in Scripture. I'm hoping to provide perhaps a new lens for understanding and a greater appreciation for the Savior. Let's pray. God, open our ears, our eyes, and our hearts to your presence in Scripture. Holy Spirit, may we see how your truth is present still today. Jesus, may we grow closer to you as our knowledge of your word and your ways increases. Bless our time of study and reflection today. Amen. Now, according to the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration, a program, organization, or system that is trauma-informed does four things, sometimes referred to as the four R's. First, realizes the widespread impact of trauma and understands potential paths for recovery. Two, recognizes the signs and symptoms of trauma in clients, families, staff, or others involved with the system. Three, responds by fully integrating knowledge about trauma into policies, procedures, and practices. And four, seeks to actively resist re-traumatization. A trauma-informed approach can be implemented in any type of service setting or organization, including churches and parachurch ministries. And it's distinct from trauma-specific interventions or treatments that are designed specifically to address the consequences of trauma and to facilitate healing, uh, such as what is used at Inner Mountain. I believe Jesus was trauma-informed in his dealings with people. He was able to see the great need of people below the surface expression of their physical ailments, or perhaps false pride or stubborn ways. The insight I have gained into working with people based on trauma-informed principles also causes me to read scripture through a different lens, viewing those Jesus interacted with as real people, not just caricatures. And one such person from scripture that I now view in a different light is Nicodemus. Well, there's a lot that can be said about this encounter in John chapter 3 between Nicodemus and Jesus, but for now we will examine how Jesus responds to Nicodemus. Going back to the four R's of being trauma-informed, does Jesus recognize any signs and symptoms within Nicodemus that might point to trauma or any other adversity in his background? Well, here are a few observances, observances that I would like to make from rereading the passage through both this filter and the discussion that we had at Desert Springs a few weeks ago about authenticity and power forming true authority. First, Nicodemus is coming from a position of power and influence. He comes to Jesus, but he is the one that initiates the conversation. Nicodemus speaks first, complimenting Jesus. Nicodemus attributes Jesus' work to his having come from God. Now. 
He's trying to fit Jesus into his preconceived ideas of how God works. He recognizes truth and authenticity in Jesus, but also sees where Jesus' presence is going to challenge the, the structures and systems that have given Nicodemus his position, his power, and his authority. Well, Jesus responds by challenging Nicodemus, speaking of God's kingdom and the need to be born again. Nicodemus, rather than admit his confusion to the way that Jesus responds, he throws out an objection to Jesus' statement. Jesus recognizes Nicodemus' defensiveness as, as a signal that he's confused and surprised, but isn't quite ready to admit what's going on. Jesus asks Nicodemus to grasp something of spiritual significance, rather than just focusing on the physical. As a result of Jesus's approach to Nicodemus, rather than getting drawn into an argument, well, this causes Nicodemus to release some of his defensiveness by simply asking, how can this be? Clearly, any perceived power in this interaction has shifted from Nicodemus to Jesus. Jesus challenges Nicodemus's foundations on which he has built his self-identity, position, power, knowledge, and his ability as a ruler of Israel to judge. Well, what can be gleaned from all of this? Well, I'd like to point out that not all people walking around with trauma or with high ACE scores. Now, ACE is an adverse child is experienced like abuse or neglect, and we'll discuss that a little bit more in just a moment. Those with with these issues are not going to present always as lowly or trouble-ridden. You see, there's enough socially acceptable ways to cope with stress and, and even toxic stress that we might first miss someone who has deep emotional pain, even within our faith community. Perfectionism, high standards and ideals, and Worldly success often mask deep insecurities which have their root in unsettled feelings of shame and self-loathing. It makes sense to me, from my own experience, that the fear of failure and a drive to be excellent at all we do can be fed by a woundedness from childhood, a wound caused by shame, the ever-present doubt that perhaps we are not really lovable and cannot be accepted for our faults and failings as well as our achievements. Might Nicodemus have been a very genuine person, seeking God in the midst of a legalistic religious system, knowing the burden of never measuring up? Might he have sensed in Jesus something that that would help him break free of the yoke of perfectionism and inner self-hatred? Well, I think this is possible. Maybe even more than just possible. And certainly, we have no way of knowing Nicodemus's childhood, but Jesus' insistence to discuss matters of the spirit rather than focusing on the physical impossibility of being born again could indicate that he sees a deeper need within this nighttime visitor than mere intellectual enlightenment. I believe my conjecture regarding Nicodemus may gain a little more credibility if I take a moment to highlight a few specifics of the original ACE study. I mentioned ACEs just a moment ago. ACE stands for Adverse Childhood Experience. 
And in the late 1990s, Dr. Vincent J. Validi of the Department of Preventative Medicine, Southern California Permanente Medical Group, Kaiser Permanente, and Robert F. Anda of the National Center for Chronic Disease Prevention and Health Promotion from the Centers of Disease Control and Prevention, conducted an epidemiological study that would soon simply be referred to as the ACE study. Now, ACEs are adverse childhood experiences that harm children's developing brains so profoundly that the effects show up decades later. And Politi and Anda's research showed an overwhelming correlation between the adversity or trauma in childhood and the adult onset of chronic diseases, depression, and other mental illness, violence, and being a victim of violence. Now, hundreds of scientific papers have verified and build upon the findings of the original ACE study. Now, the 10 ACEs or adverse childhood experiences that Politi and Anda measured were physical, sexual, and verbal abuse, physical and emotional neglect, witnessing a mother being abused, losing a parent to separation, divorce, or another reason, a family member who is depressed or diagnosed with other mental illness, addicted to alcohol or another substance, or is in prison. That's quite a list, isn't it? And surely we have compassion on those that have experienced these difficulties in childhood. And one of the shocking things that was concluded from this study and an insight that was gained from examining the data was that experiences of adversity and trauma are much more prevalent in our larger society than we might first expect. The study exposed the false notion that, that hardship somehow happens to those people over there, that there is somehow, no matter how we define these categories, a magical us and them, and it is only them that have to deal with hard things. Well, this is especially true of some of the assumptions made about racial division in our country. In the original age study, the mean age of the 8,506 persons, well, 56.1 was the average age, and the range of ages was from 19 to 92. 52.1% were women, 79.4% were uh, white or Caucasian, 43% had graduated from college, and only 6% had not graduated from high school. Well, these survey respondents then were predominantly white, middle-class Americans reflecting the general makeup of many of our nation's faith communities. These communities often segregated by the assumption that we don't have much in common when it comes to life experience and faith expression across racial divisions. Now, these findings of the ACE study were surprising to many then in that they, they showed a predominance of trauma in populations generally perceived to be shielded by wealth, privilege, and circumstance from adversity. It turns out that there really is no us and them. Trauma and adverse childhood experiences is a we issue, and we all need the healing and hope that Jesus can provide. Now, it's more than likely that some of you listening right now would object to some of the points that I'm making, and, and that's fair. You might even question the relevance of one study done three decades ago. You know, that was in Southern California in the mid-1990s. Clearly, we're doing better in, in Montana or 
in Washington State these days, right? Well, among the findings of Washington's 2015 ACE survey, child trends reported that 11% of Washington's children have experienced three or more ACEs, with the most common adversity experienced being economic hardship at 25%, then divorce, uh, mental illness, and alcohol abuse in the home. Over half of Washington State's children have experienced at least one significant adverse experience at home before the age of 17. And well, that's the children, but what about the adults? And in 2018, the Washington State Health Assessment reported that 26% of Washington's adults reported to having three or more ACEs. And finally, I'd be remiss if I didn't state that our entire country and world has just been through a year of pandemic where many of the social structures meant to protect individuals and children from trauma and adversity have been stripped away or at least greatly reduced in their application and effectiveness. It's too early to draw definitive conclusions, but much has been speculated about the negative mental health impacts that this pandemic will have on our children, as well as all of us as we come out of this difficult, extremely difficult time together. This is all a matter of life and death. It truly is. Trauma, adversity, and prolonged toxic stress in people's lives is a poison that kills us from the inside out. Early mortality rates increase greatly for those having four or more ACEs, as some studies suggest that those with this level of trauma or adversity in their lives die an average of 20 years earlier than those with no ACEs. If our love for Jesus and our experience of being born again by the Spirit doesn't lead us to a compassionate response for those Jesus came to seek and save, I wonder if that new life within us has truly taken hold. Just as Jesus said, we must all be born again. And just as all the Israelites who had been bitten by the serpents in the desert had all been through the same traumatic experience and and needed to look to the serpent on the pole, the one that Jesus refers to in this passage from John, we can fairly assume that each one here, everyone listening, those in our neighborhoods and places of business, we have all experienced similar struggles. We all need Jesus, yes, but we also all need the love and compassion of others that that seek us out and seek to understand and connect with us as we move together into greater healing and hope. Let us pray. God, move us to see that every individual we encounter may be silently carrying a heavy load. For those children in our community currently enduring adversity, we pray. For those in the church and in our schools that are working through their own trauma history, we pray. May we become a place of support and grace for all those who, like Nicodemus, come looking for answers and hope. Amen.